HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. This is the Average Conservationist Podcast brought to you by Outdoor Class and in partner with 2% for Conservation. Outdoor Class is the new single source of premium outdoor education from trusted, knowledgeable experts. For hunters committed to improving their skills, Outdoor Class is the only subscription-based e-learning platform that provides unlimited access to video lessons from the world's most respected experts covering topics across a hunter's entire journey. Learn from industry leaders like Corey Jacobson, Randy Newberg, Remy Warren, and other prominent personalities and organizations. Sign up today and use code AVERAGE to save 20%. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% of your time plus 1% of your money equals 2% for Conservation. 2% helps businesses and people pair with conservation causes to support things that fit what they care about. Whether you're into fishing, hunting, or just getting outdoors, 2% can help you not only start giving back to wildlife, but get certified for it. Getting 2% certified means you've made the same commitment as popular brands like Sitka, Stone Glacier, and Seek Outside in giving at least 1% of your time and dollars back to wildlife. But it's not just for outdoor companies, breweries, Contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Mark Jones, and Mark is the owner and founder of newly 2% certified Citrus Arrow Coffee, uh, and they are based out of San Diego, California. And Mark and I get to kind of hash things out a little bit, uh, really as it pertains to, uh, to his upbringing, uh, you know, where uh, really that that love um that relationship that he has with the outdoors, uh, where that came from, how that started, uh, you know, at a pretty young age, and and really how he's been able to kind of carry a lot of the the same sentiment, um, you know, the same beliefs, uh, you know, as an adult uh, that he had as a kid and when he was first introduced to the outdoors. So it's really uh, it's really cool to see uh, things kind of come full circle. And now that that Mark is um, in a position to to have his own company um, to to give back to conservation, uh, it's certainly something um, that he's very passionate about, and you can you can definitely hear that um, you know throughout the the uh, the conversation that we have. Uh, we also talk about obviously you know Citrus Arrow and uh, all the different brands or the, excuse me the different um, types of coffee that they're offering. Um, what really separates them from some other things out there and why using sustainable practices um, with some of their um, their partners is really um, important to them uh, and why they hope that their customers see the importance uh, of that as well. So really great episode with Mark. Um, 
lots of laughs. Uh, so episode 113, Mark Jones. Uh, enjoy. Today's episode is going to be brought to you by my friends over at Hardside Hydration. If you're looking for a rugged and dependable hydration setup for the backcountry, you need to visit hardsidehydration.com and check out their swig rig. And what the swig rig does is it converts any Nalgene bottle uh, into your new hydration setup. So it's going to give you an option that's easy to clean, it's easy to access, and you're always going to have peace of mind that your hydration setup isn't going to fail. Um, And one of the cool things about the swig rig is, you know, let's say you're just on a hike, you know, around home, or if you are in the backcountry, you want to run a powdered drink, something like that, something aside from water, trying to help give you that little hydration boost. The swig rig uh, is super easy to clean, dishwasher safe and friendly, uh, and you don't have to worry about, you know, the mildew uh, and all that building up because it doesn't dry out. So awesome product. Head over to Hardside Hydration. Check it out. Mark Jones, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. Um, I really do appreciate you guys uh, taking time and, and having me on the show. I, I really do. It means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's always exciting uh, when I see 2% uh, you know, make a, an Instagram or a, a post somewhere uh, on social media announcing that there's, um, you know, there's been another uh, company or organization that's decided to make that commitment. Um, one, it means that I get to keep doing the podcast for at least another week, uh, but then it also means, you know, that there's other companies out there that that really see the value in, in giving back to conservation, and um, you know, that's something that certainly excites me. Uh, there are companies out there. Um, you, you know, every month we see sort of an emphasis on a on a new cause, and you know, companies kind of you know they tend to come and go, you know, sell their products, but there are companies out there that have a real commitment uh, to certain causes. Yeah, it's it's refreshing, isn't it, to see that they don't just go away, like you just mentioned, that they're actually, they're in it for the right reasons and, and maybe, um, you know, not for the, the marketing side of things, I guess, that um, Jared and I have talked about in the past, but they're, you know, they, they really value, um, you know, the outdoors. And, and that's kind of the beauty about 2% for Conservation, right, is, is it's such a a wide umbrella or a wide net in terms of conservation so you can you know support you know really anything that you would like um as long as it kind of pertains to the outdoors in some way shape or form and that is that is good enough for them right you don't have to just commit to one of the three or four or five you know kind of big um organizations that are out there you can you know find what you care about and what fits fits your agenda you know, you're right. The, the flexibility is key in that, you know, in order to, to remain committed, yeah, you have to kind of follow your passion and uh, not someone else's passion. Although the two may intersect at some point, but, uh, you know, you really want to get involved in, in those things that you're passionate about and, and will remain passionate about. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because if, if it's not something that you're fully committed to, it's going to be very easy to kind of give up. Um, when maybe uh, things get tough or you just it's it's been a, a bad month in sales or whatever I mean there's a million reasons right um, sure. and it could be very easy to give up so right so mark before we kind of get into uh, your company citrus arrow coffee here tell me a bit about yourself and, and really what's kind of led you um, you know to us sitting down today yeah I'll give you the uh, biography and then you can take from it you know what you will <laughs> all right uh, you know, born and raised in Northern California, which is 
much different than Southern California and San Diego. Um, but, you know, born in the city, and, you know, if you know anything about the city, San Francisco, you'll know that it's uh, deep, 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 deep blue with a, uh, you know, an emphasis on, um, you know, taking care of your fellow man and, you know, take care of this, this you know, planet that we inhabit. And then from there, we kind of moved uh, up north uh, from a, a city life into the country. Um, Sebastopol, California is where I ended up going to high school. And that's really, really rural. Um, and so I was never inside, which is easy because, you know, at the time, um, I think the video game Pong had just come of age. And so, you know, there's other than books, there was nothing for me inside. Um, except, you know, complete and undivided attention to my parents uh, as an only child. And so, you know, nobody wants that. So, uh, you know, you got to go outside and, you know, kind of make your own adventures. And so, you know, within that, that, that environment up there, you know, I managed to, um, I started running, um, started hiking, started riding a bicycle. And when you can be mobile like that, it is freaking amazing what you can see up there. If you just slow down a little bit, take your time on a bike. I mean, some of the things you'll see will just blow your mind. Um, and then from there, I, uh, well, I actually, I always had a passion for the oceans. So my grandfather was a fisherman, so I was always around the ocean. And then uh, I was one of the the first members of the, I don't know if they're still around, but the Cousteau Society, Jacques Cousteau. Okay. Yeah, because he uh, used to have a, uh, I think it was like a weekly show on TV. Um, and they would take their uh, uh, ship and they would go and kind of explore the oceans. And that just was I, I was addicted to that. Um, so then I joined the Marine Corps after that, uh, became a police officer for a little bit, uh, went back to school a couple times, um, got a doctorate, and then, but none of those things really satisfied me. They were, you know, they were fun at times and they were kind of work. But, um, you know, at the, end of the, at the end of the line, when you're looking to retire, um, I, I wanted to do something that brought me all the way back to when I was a kid. You know, that kind of wonder that you find when you're out there, you know, riding your bike amongst the, the giant redwoods. And so, um, you know, everybody likes coffee. Oh, and yeah. So there was this idea about coffee. And then like, well, you know, what if we structure this so that it's not necessarily, you know, Mark just making bank. But, you know, what if we make an effort to, to benefit organizations you know, such as uh, 2%. Um, and then, you know, we've got some other um, uh, organizations that we benefit. So, you know, it was that idea like, yeah, I want to start a business, you know, the post-retirement plan, but I also want it to, you know, I don't care if I make dime one, but I also want it to benefit uh, worthy organizations. So that's kind of the, the, my elevator speech about, you know, how we went from there to here. So as so, it, it sounds like you know uh, after high school, like you said, you, you got into the Marines. How long did you serve for? Um, I did four years, a couple years uh, National Guard, um, uh, a couple years like Reserve. So I think all told, it was like something like all put together it was like nine years or okay. something. And then yeah. got into law enforcement after that. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like a natural segue. You know, kind of 
wear someone else's uniform, carry someone else's gun. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so I just, you know, I stuck with that for, uh, you know, for a while. And that was rewarding. It was fun. It was actually a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, like all things, it has to come to an end. Right. And <clears throat> so was was starting Citrus Arrow, I mean, the, the entire process, I know you, you kind of talked about, you know, having something post-retirement, but what did the process look like of once you, you landed on um, starting your own coffee company? Well, <laughs> I don't know if I would describe it as a, as a process, because uh, that makes it seem really um, well thought out and smooth. <laughs> um, this was less of a process than uh, just kind of falling over a bunch of stuff. And then finally coming to the realization, like, oh, okay, we can do this. So I started a couple other businesses, uh, and it just nothing really, I don't know, nothing really eh, stuck. Um, but, you know, my belief is, that, you know, if you're, it, it, if you play football, you know, if you've ever played football, is that, you know, during the kickoff, is that there's always the guys on the sides, on the wings, and you run downfield as fast as you can, and you look to hit somebody. The gunners, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, most of the time you hit somebody, eh, all right, nothing happens. But occasionally you hit somebody and you cause a fumble. And so, but you never get there unless you run down the field at full speed. And so that's kind of my philosophy is, man, you got to run down that field and you got to look for somebody to hit. And, you know, if you hit somebody and you don't cause a fumble, all right, reload and do it again. Um, and so I started a couple things and they just never... I, I, you know, I caused no fumbles. Uh, and then there was just, you know, a lot of anxiety and a lot of money. Um, and then, you know, something about, I don't know, I was just sitting around one day and I was like, you know what? Oh, coffee. <laughs> you know? So it just, you know, that kind of took off and I did my, um, <clears throat> pardon me, did my uh, due diligence and uh, found a couple partners and, you know, off we went. Um, so, you know, we designed some bags, we have, you know, varieties of coffee. And so it, it's kind of a, I, you know, I would say it's in its infancy and we're starting to kind of take shape and you're, you're able to see kind of the, you know, what this will become. Um, but you know, it, it's right now it, it's very, um, flexible. It's very moldable, but, uh, but it's coffee. Yeah. Uh, the, the running down on kickoff football analogy is a beautiful thing. As someone who, who's who played football, you know, since I was very very young, all the way through college, yeah, that's such a great way to look at things. Is, you know, you you may run down the field, you may run down on kickoff for five, six games in a row, right? I mean, it can be a, a very long, arduous process, and nothing happens. Or you know, maybe you contain the play, um, you know, the tackle is made, but. For the most part, it's it's a very routine kickoff. But then, like you said, there's that one time where, yeah, you get a hand on the ball, whatever the case is, and, and you cause a turnover. And momentum shifts. And all of a sudden, um, it could be the play that breaks the game wide open. It could set the tone for the entire game. Um, there's just a lot of different things that can come out of that. And that analogy, I've never heard it used quite like that. And I'm probably going to steal that at some other point down the road. So I'm just going to give you credit now, uh, but I will probably be using that again. Yeah, of course. It's, I, you know, I heard this quote once. I think it was from a movie. It was like, you know, moderation is for cowards. And, you know, I, I kind of believe that. 
Like if you're going to do something, then, you know, do something. Yeah. If it's, it, it, yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, yeah, don't be passive about it. Yeah. So yeah. I would imagine that from being in the Marines and then serving in law enforcement, you probably drank a lot of shitty coffee over the years, right? Just, I've just got to imagine if it's, if coffee's being produced <laughs> for the masses, it, it's probably not great coffee, right? No, <laughs> most of it was, um, there's always like a, a, a 7-Eleven or something similar or a donut shop. You know, if you ever wonder why cops are parked in front of donut shops, because that's where the coffee is or was at the time. Um, and so you get, yeah, you get some kind of bland coffee in a styrofoam cup and yeah, that's it. That's all you got. So, um, I, you know, I hate to sound like one of those guys, but you know, the youngsters of today, <laughs> well, they've got, you know, they got any number of places they can go. I mean, shoot, you can even go to McDonald's and get some sort of uh, latte uh, you know, or something. Yeah. Like that, yeah. So it's everywhere, but uh, yeah, you know, when I started out, it was just that it was donut chip coffee or um, 7 Eleven or something, you know, like the, the pot that's like been simmering for like six hours. Oh, yeah, it's all burned <laughs> at the bottom. Yeah, that's the good stuff yeah. there. Yeah, no, and that's and that's funny. Is so up until gosh, maybe three, three years ago, um, I never really put a big emphasis on coffee, I drank coffee, um, yeah, yeah. It was it was more of a convenience thing, right? Whatever, however, I could get it quick and easy. Um, and I, I had worked previously uh, in manufacturing, so it was like one of those. There was a, a shop floor, and there was like office space, kind of in the second floor. But everyone, there was like two coffee pots, one on the second floor, one on the first floor, and it didn't matter. It people kind of made it depending on who made the the pot of coffee. It was either really strong or really weak. Uh, but it was like the Sam's Club big tubs of like Folgers, right? So who knows how old they are. And I just got used to drinking it, right? You just get used to drinking it and drinking it and you're drinking it all day. And then, yeah, again, a few years ago, someone introduced me to like drinking pour over coffee, grinding my beans. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like a snob now that I do it that way, (laughs) but it's, it's like, it's, it's insanely, it tastes insanely better than, you know, the other way. And I, I can't go back. And I, like I said, sometimes I feel like a snob about it, but it is what it is. I want, I want to enjoy my coffee at this point in life. I, um, years ago I went to a, a basketball game and had an opportunity to sit in one of those uh, suites, um, where when you, because it's a suite, you get your own parking spot you get your own entrance, you get your own waiter. And then, as you know, you get your own restroom. Yep. Um, and so once you've done something like that, there is no going back to sitting, you know, down in steerage. Um, it's kind of the same thing with coffee. It's like once you've ground your own beans, once you've added, you know, I don't know, a little bit of cinnamon, a little bit of cocoa, um, you know, had it roasted differently, you ain't going back. No. Uh-uh. 7-11 is out of the question. Yeah. I, I mean, and even... You know, even somewhere like Starbucks, right? Like if you can, yeah, yeah I'm the same way. I'd, I'd much rather spend 10 minutes, make a couple pour over at home, than stop and get coffee because I know it's going to be way, made, you know, the way I like it. And that little point you just made that people probably aren't going to catch, adding a little bit of cinnamon, game changer. I love adding just a little bit of cinnamon and I don't care 
what people say that are listening to this, it's it's great. It's a game changer. Just it's very subtle but noticeable, and if you try it, you won't regret it. You can, you know, there's nothing to stop you from experimenting with, you know, whatever's in your cabinet. Um, you know, if you do a pour over, you can try, you know, any number of spices or, you know, anything that you like. And, you know, if it doesn't work for you, then pour it out, start over. Yep, but, exactly. Uh, I, yeah, just cinnamon, just kind of, and, the, you know, a little bit of cocoa, where it makes it kind of that, like, chocolatey flavor. <laughs> Forget about it. <laughs> so, on okay, the, on the top, a, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I got to make a cup of coffee. <laughs> Jesus. So on the topic of, of the actual yeah. coffee, what what types of flavors um, are you guys offering or, or, you know, different blends do you guys have available right now? Um, how about this? Many. Many. That's a good so, thing. So we can, we've got about eh, 65 blends that we can choose from. Um, but we only carry a couple just because of the logistics of that are, you know, too, too much. Um, and so we've got within the store itself, um, we've got, uh, what do we have? Like five or six, okay. uh, some of the most popular blends, you know, there's the, there's the, you know, cowboy roast, which is the most uh, re- robust. Um, and then some of our, uh, special labels, you know, the ones that we do for charity have, um, those were chosen by the charities themselves. Okay. And so, yeah, we go from, you know, chocolate to, uh, to a breakfast blend to kind of a um, one that's more appropriate for a cold brew. Um, and then there's, uh, yeah, let's see, there's Mexican chocolate. There's some Tanzanian in there, which has kind of a little bit of a citrusy flavor. Um, but, yeah, we can choose from any number of, uh, of flavors. And, you know, maybe as we expand, we'll, we'll include the entire 65 uh, roster. But uh, right now, it's just, you know, a little bit too much. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> now, do you guys have a storefront at all? Or are you just strictly online or maybe um, in some local uh, shops there in San Diego? Uh, we are, for the most part, we're online. Uh, we do appear at events. Okay. Um, and I don't know if we will ever get into having an actual storefront, uh, but we would like to break into offering our product um, at, at a variety of restaurants and, and stores here in San Diego to make it more available and you know give people more chances to kind of support their favorite uh, charities that they so wish. Yeah, no, and that's, that's, a, that's a great thing to give people um you know more options to choose on how they can you know support yeah those organizations that uh that they like to support and and do it uh you know when they're out and about and be you know even more kind of vocal uh, about it when you're doing it um you know out in public which is always a good thing um so have you well i saw uh on the website there about using um like sustainable uh practices um with with the the um the growers and everything that you guys are working with and and i see that with with you know certain companies you know whether it's coffee or otherwise but in this particular instance what does sustainable kind of really refer to when it comes to to roast or to to the beans and everything like that so you mentioned Folgers and, you know, I don't want to impugn anyone's, you know, business practices, but, um, or Starbucks, 
but you know, depending on your politics, you may or may not like this. But you know, some of those places are are I think they tend to be kind of slash and burn um, with their growers. And we work with, and our roasting partner works with growers that receive a um, a fair amount. They receive market amounts uh, for their product, and we make sure that that you know that word sustainable means that we're not just slashing and burning. Is that you know for every plant, you know that we kind of uh, burn through, that on the back end there are other plants planted. Um, you know, if you think about it, like I say, a Christmas tree farm. You know, every Christmas, you know, they kind of whack down, you know, a thousand trees. But on the back end, they're planting trees that will be available in say five, ten years. Um, and and we want to do the same thing. It's not a slash and burn operation. We want to make sure that our growers are compensated fairly, and that they act uh, uh, with integrity, and you know that they also have the same focus we do on on kind of uh, uh, taking care of Mother Earth. Yeah. Now, are you guys uh, partnering with uh, like uh, local roasters there in San Diego or just, I guess, maybe kind of in, in the greater San Diego area or the Southern California area there? Uh, yeah, we have one roasting partner. Okay. And you know, as we stay this size, that's all we need for now. Um, you know, who knows what the future may, may bring, but one is fine for now. Yeah. How much did you guys have to learn kind of going into – you know, when you first started, when you when you landed in the, on the idea of, of having uh, starting a coffee company, you know, I'm sure there's a, a certain amount of information that you've just acquired, right? Just from your different and various experiences throughout life. But how much of a learning curve was it to understand like the roasting process, the flavor profiles, and all that different stuff? Yeah, I, I don't even know if I still know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I, I really don't. I feel like I'm improving most of the time. I'm just you know, kind of hoping, searching for the 80% solution. You know, hopefully, I'm you know, 80% of the time I'm right. Um, it's such a complex process to choose the beans and to roast the beans that you know I'm not. And because of COVID, I haven't been able to to take a tour of our uh, roasting partner and their plant. But um, you know, that'll come in the future once we're past COVID and. What what do we have now? Monkeypox. Yeah, I think that was the last one I saw. Right, like squirrel sniffles or you know whatever's coming. Up. Um, you know, I want to take a tour and see, get down to the you know, into the weeds. Um, but you know, just learning about the varieties and where they come from and how um, uh, each region treats their coffee beans differently. Um, it, you know, as an eye opener, it's kind of exciting. Um, the thing that really, <laughs> the thing that really kind of took me by surprise was the labeling on the coffee. It's such an intricate process, and it all has to be FDA approved. And part of that, I and I'm not exactly sure how, but part of the FDA approval relates to you know some sort of like anti-terrorism act um and, and so everything it's yeah it, you know 2022 it's you know it's yeah yeah where we are now. um but you know the labeling is you know has to be very very specific and that was that caught me by surprise and it's become a little bit of a frustration all right 
So in, in order to keep from getting you frustrated, I won't ask any follow-up questions to that. Instead, what I'll do is we, we you kind of just touched on it with, you know, your roasting partners uh, really looking at uh, or viewing, you know, uh, nature um, and everything like that in, in wild places the same way that you guys do, which I think is uh, is very important um, when you're when you're having any, you know, type of business relationship is making sure that you guys are on the same page Um for what's most important to you. So how does conservation tie back into everything with Citrus Arrow Coffee? Well, we want to be a responsible company, um, even though we have such a small footprint. And, you know, there are corporations that, you know, have massive footprints. um, And, you know, they talk about conservation and sustainability. But, you know, we are so very, very small relative to those corporations. But nonetheless, I want to make damn sure that we leave things better off than when we found them. Um, you know, every time I go to the beach, I, you know, I do that. I make sure that, you know, I pick up a piece of trash or something, but I make it cleaner than when I, you know, when I found it. And I want to do the same thing with this company, you know, to include, you know, giving people an option to recycle bags and to you know, make sure that they're aware of our our fair business practices and how we treat the growers, and that you know nobody here is involved in slash and burn. You know there is no corporate uh, kidnapping of profits, um, and you know no we don't really have any leverage uh, over the growers. You know they grow a product, you know we pay them for it, we pay them fair market wages, and nor do I want to have leverage over the growers. You know we're all partners, and. So the conservation piece is is key to our business philosophy that we do not harm our planet by our practices, at least not intentionally. Now, you know, there are those unintentional kind of, you know, uh, mistakes that we all make. But, you know, if you can learn and you can reverse a practice, then fine. Um, but we will not do anything intentionally to harm our planet. Yeah, and I think that's that's the best approach to have because like you said, mistakes are gonna happen or just inherently, um, you know, operating, um, you know, businesses or, or, you know, certain operations that are taking place, uh, there, there's going to be some type of effect, but being cognizant, uh, I think of, you know, just that, that general outlook from the beginning. Um, puts you far ahead of, of a lot of people who don't really care about, um, you know, what everything looks like in the middle. They just want the end result. Right. And, and a lot of that, you know, a lot of that process is, is where, you know, potential harm is done. And to try to minimize that, I think is, is critical. And and again, being aware of that from the start, um, puts you that much further uh, ahead in terms of, you know, your, your customer or your competition, but also, you know, in the eyes of your customer as well. Well, you know, it all starts with, you know, that partnership between us and the growers that if you pay them well, they don't have to take any shortcuts. And, you know, by shortcuts, I mean, they don't have to uh, plant more uh, plants than they should than, you know, sustainable on the earth. Um, And they're not just, you know, wearing out their little plots of land uh, because you're paying them fairly. Um, And it's, you know, those, little things like that, that, you know, that I try to remain aware of so that, uh, 
you know, we can call ourselves sustainable. But, you know, it's also the little things here, like choosing the, you know, the bags that we use. Um, so it goes far and wide, you know, from like the little tiny things that I can control right here at my desk where I'm sitting, you know, to making sure that, that you know, the growers on, on that end of it at the beginning end are paid a fair wage so that they can, uh, you know, continue to do the good work that they do. Because, you know, they don't want to destroy their land either. You know, people just, they enjoy doing what they're doing and they want, you know, they want to probably, you know, keep it in the family and pass it down, you know, for generations. And you can't do that if you have that slash and burn approach or if, you know, if you decide to, you know, use leverage, you know, because of, you know, the way the economy is going. Right. Yeah, we always want to make sure that everybody gets a, a, a fair wage. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great way to do it. So as far or sticking with kind of the conservation uh, aspect inside of Citrusero, how was it that, that you learned about 2% for conservation? How did I? I think it was just by luck. <laughs> Searching for... Um, I got scuba certified not too long ago, and so I was searching for um, some place to volunteer, um, some place to like with coast keepers or uh, surf rider, uh, so that I could kind of donate my my time um, cleaning up uh, uh, the beaches. Um, and I just happened upon that, and then I thought, huh, yeah, first thing that pops in my mind, huh, partnership, um, and it just it kind of went from there. Um, it just, you know, took on a life of its own and, you know, I ended up talking to Jared and, and, you know, we all both seem to be on the same page. And so, you know, that's, this partnership was, was born. Yeah. <clears throat> so what are some of the organizations that Citrus Arrow is, uh, working with or giving back to? Um, yeah. Anything that has to do with the water and our coast. Uh, so there's a uh, birch aquarium down here, uh, UC San Diego, um, has the, uh, scripts, uh, oceanography, um, and they host uh, Birch Aquarium, which is, if you never, you know, to those people listening, if you've never been to San Diego, um, other than, say, the tourist areas, um, you should take some time and go see Birch Aquarium. It's much, much smaller, but it's much more user-friendly, and depending on the day you go, Many of the uh, students there at UCSD um, act as kind of docents and they have exhibits uh, and, and they'll teach your children and you about, um, you know, what's just right there, you know, in the water, just, you know, 100 feet from you. Um, they'll talk about sharks and, you know, the value of sharks and conservation. Um, and they'll talk about, you know, all of the kind of native flora and fauna that are uh, on our coast. So you can't overlook something like that. I mean, you know, I know it's fun to go to SeaWorld and, you know, we all have our politics about SeaWorld. Um, but, um, you know, if you go to some place like Birch Aquarium, uh, you you won't leave unsatisfied. Um, so we're doing that. Um, and then um, what was the, gosh, what was the other one? I think it was, did I say Coast Keepers? Uh, but, uh, yeah, you mentioned that one uh, a, a minute ago. But, yeah, I, and then I think uh, I, think I saw uh, this, yes, yeah, Surfrider Foundation as well. Yeah, they always do great work, um, particularly because, you know, we're right here on the coast and, you know, we just had July 4th um, and any of the big holidays. Uh, if you everyone goes to the beach on a holiday, go to the beach after a holiday and see what it looks like. You will lose your mind when you see how people leave uh, the beach. And yeah. How much stuff they leave behind. 
Yeah, we have a, a great chapter, uh, local chapter of the Surfrider Foundation um, that I've just started kind of like reading up on uh, more here in Michigan because um, obviously with the Great Lakes um, and everything like that in such a you know kind of pristine body of water or just, you know, water system right. in general. Right. Um, and they do incredible work. And it was, I think, just like you mentioned, shortly after the 4th of July, um, where, yeah, everyone wants to be near the lake. They want to be on the water, whatever the case is. And, and the destruction um, that comes kind of immediately following that, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's immense, I guess. I, I don't even know how to quantify it. Yeah. It, you know, I will tell you that it's disappointing. Um, it's frustrating. It's... Uh, depressing and it just you know you stand there on the beach and you look around and you know I, I mean I don't mean to be too cliche but you know a tear almost comes to your eye you know when you look at the destruction that you know man has wrought upon you know what was you know hours ago just this you know this beautiful uh, you know monument to you know to earth and, and, and to the you know to nature just destroyed yeah it, it it is it's very it's heartbreaking um because you see it i mean from coast to coast right whether it is the oceans whether it's you know the the countless uh inland lakes um uh, rivers streams whatever it is um the carelessness of people sometimes that that use those uh to recreate or gosh even if they are you know um even if it's not you know, or recreating from a, like an outdoors or like a fishing standpoint or something like that. Maybe they're just going for, you know, a ride on the kayak or, you know, canoe or out on the boat or something like that. And, you know, something flies out of the boat or they just decide to, they don't want to keep something in the boat. So they, you know, purposely discard of it that way. And they don't understand, right? At some point along the line, they um, either witnessed or were told that that was an acceptable practice, Right and never thought to question it or anything else so that's just kind of what they do um and it's it's a really terrible cycle that just kind of continues to repeat itself it um yeah and you know so many things that you know end up in the water and they float to the bottom um you know the fish are not averse to you know giving it a try and seeing if it's food um and and so you know it becomes kind of a chain reaction you know, when a, a fish may eat something that's unhealthy for them and kill the fish, and then, you know, some predator eats that fish, and then so on and so forth. Um, but it's not all gloom and doom, because there are people who take time uh, the day after July 4th, the day after Memorial Day, the day after Labor Day, and they go out to the beaches, and they bring a number of, uh, a depressing number of trash bags, and they walk the beaches, and they clean it up. For people who couldn't clean it up for themselves so there's always somebody that steps up to take responsibility when the person who left that wrapper or that that plastic bottle on the beach um, won't take responsibility but you know how long will that last yeah that's true that is uh it's a very good question so <clears throat> growing up, uh, essentially kind of, you know, in your more formidable years uh, in, in Northern California there, and I think you said it was, a, was it a grandfather who was a fisherman? Yeah, my grandfather. He, uh, they had a, uh, um, a, a tuna boat, so they used to go down to Mexico, but then uh, in his later years, we just, uh, <laughs> a 
it's kind of funny because we just went out on uh, San Francisco Bay in a uh, almost like a rowboat. <laughs> and San Francisco Bay is, you know, it's it's, it's uh, there's you know pretty wicked currents, and you know it's very choppy because it's always windy there. And then um, the <laughs> the fog burns off like eleven o'clock in the morning, and it comes right back at three. Um, so it's you know it's it's not really a, a you know what I call a user friendly environment. But you know, we were out there just you know having fun. What did I know? I was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> you just you just follow along, right? And and you trust yeah. that your parents or or grandparents or someone someone older than you has your best interests at heart, and whether that uh, is actually yeah. the case or not, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but you know, I, I mean, I had a love of the oceans, and so that's exactly where I wanted to be. Uh, was out there, you know, with the the salt spray in my face and. Um, you know, trying to outrun, uh, you know, container ships and you know, stuff like that. You know, uh, girl, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the Midwest. I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I've certainly been to, to the ocean. I've been to the Atlantic, the Pacific, you know, I've, I've spent some time in, uh, you know, when I say spent some time like vacations or, or things like that in, in yeah. California and in, in Florida and just, so I've, I've gotten to experience the ocean and, I just I had this uh, like this almost this this jealousy of people who grow up with um, kind of unlimited access to that right because I feel like they just have this this deeper connection to to, to water when you have the ocean right there I mean you know I, I grew up in lakes uh, so I, I certainly understand that and, and love you know lakes but there's just something kind of uh, gosh what's the word like something kind of uh, mysterious right about the ocean just the vastness of everything and when you grow up in there you just you just seem to kind of have this this relationship this unspoken bond with the water that I've always been kind of jealous of did you have something like that growing up always we um, up there there was a uh, I think I don't know if they've renamed it but there was a place called um, was it marine world marine world or something similar up there and um, my dad, uh, when he worked for this company, they always used to have kind of a summer picnic there. And we would go, and I would spend literally um, eight hours at the dolphin pool, just kind of hanging out, just watching, admiring, kind of, and it's going to sound weird, talking to them, but, you know, forming a bond and, and communicating. And um, so, you know, when I'm in the water, you know, as a scuba diver or uh, kayaking, um, I, I don't have any fear because I, you know, you know, the symbiotic relationship of the ocean and where you fit into it. And, you know, to me, um, you know, they're all my friends, you know, which sounds like a, a kind of a childlike way to look at it. But uh, without that childlike way, I wouldn't feel the same way about the oceans as I do. And I wouldn't take care of the oceans the way that I do. Um, and so, you know, when I'm diving and I go under the water, and you see everything underneath the water. It's I feel like I'm in my living room, you know, like you know, with my friends. But <laughs> you, you, I, I don't think it's funny because you made a really good point there. Where you said it's kind of like this this childlike relationship or or belief uh, in in you know the relationship that you have, but that that relationship is also what makes you so comfortable, which makes you, you know, really have a, a full understanding of, like you said, how you fit in to that, um, you know, that world into that, um, into that kind of whole being. 
And I think that's such a, a great way to look at it is not, you know, just because you're older in age doesn't mean that you have to believe something different than what you grew up believing because it, it makes you feel comfortable. It makes you, um, you know, have an appreciation for it. And, you know, a lot of times we lose those appreciations for things as we get older, more mature, whatever the case is. But something like that, it's kept you in, in a headspace to to respect and appreciate the ocean uh, and all that it has to offer. And I think that's that's a great way to, to look at it. Well, I mean, you know, you can't be like foolish and just to you know, disregard all safety measures. Right. You know, I'm going to go ride a gray white shark, but... Um, well, yeah, we're not Aquaman out here. <laughs> you just, you know, you understand how things work. You you know, you've got your, you know, your eyes open and, and certainly you can see the signs if something is about to go south. Uh, but, you know, what I tell a lot of people is uh, when you're in the water, that if you act like prey, they will treat you like prey. Um, and that means something different for everyone. But, you know, when you're out there in the water and just kind of soaking everything in, um, they, they will allow you to soak everything in. It's almost like they know. And that, that again, sounds really odd, but it's like they know that you're there, that you appreciate their world, and that you're there for good, and you're not there for harm. Yeah. I think there's I think there's certainly something to be said about that. And I and I would I would bet that if you polled or just talked to a lot of people who who grew up around the ocean, who grew up around water, they would have, you know, likely a, a very similar uh, view on things that you have. And and like I said, that kind of all like ties back into this jealousy that I had of people who grew up around the ocean and have that that appreciation, that kind of uh um yeah, I relationship ads. That's the best way to put it. Uh, because yeah, you don't get that in lakes, right? Like what's, 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 you know, I'm, I'm actually looking out my window at a lake right now. Uh, it's not a very big lake, but at the most, it's like 30 feet deep in this, yeah. in this particular lake. And there's nothing in this body of water that makes me uncomfortable or makes me nervous. Right. Yeah. So you, you don't get that, that relation, you don't get that, um, uh, that, that relationship, that bond with the water. And, um, yeah, like I said, that I, I just, I really like hearing, um, you know, about that from people and, and hearing their experience, um, you know, with the ocean in particular. You know, the other thing that will surprise you is that, I mean, we all know the ocean is deep, but you don't realize like how close to the shore it drops off. And so if you swim out just, you know, hundred feet, 200 feet, 300 feet, um, the vastness of the ocean will be right there in your face. Really? You cannot see, um, <laughs> you can't see the bottom uh, because it just drops off. You know, analogous to say going up to the Grand Canyon, like one of the little tourist areas, the lookouts, and then, you know, right down to the bottom, um, you know, you can, it's just like right there. Um, it's the same thing with the ocean. You know, you cannot see the, the ocean floor. So that that is um, a little intimidating, um, awe-inspiring, and then when you get back on shore and your feet are underneath you, you just you know you can take a moment and go, wow, you know what did I just see? What did I just experience? Yeah, and that's that's the the cool thing about you know anytime uh, whether you're in the mountains, in the woods, or, or in the ocean, um, is that it every time is different. 
right? And you get to experience something new and it's always fresh and it always kind of keeps you coming back and it keeps that, that appreciation um, very, and respect for, you know, the environment very strong. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and let's make no mistake about it that, you know, the ocean can be a really dangerous place if, you're, if you don't understand, uh, you know, the relationship between you and the water. Um, you know, currents and, and um, you know, there's a variety of things that are out there that can hurt you. Um, but, um, you know, it can be an unfriendly place. But as long as you're educated about it, as long as you take uh, um, due diligence, then it's fine. It's just it's no worse than going out into your swimming pool. Yeah. So yeah. the Mark, the the outlook that you have on conservation in the outdoors now, now was that something that was, you know, was it kind of like outwardly talked about uh, when you were growing up, you know, with like your grandfather, you know, out in the bay, or was it just kind of like learned through actions and watching, um, you know, how he treated the land around him? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> when, when you're a kid and you're out there and it's you know maybe it's cold or you're hungry and you're like you know grandpa can i shut up <laughs> we'll go back in in a few minutes like, oh, okay just like i learned to just you know be seen and not heard um no it was just i think it was just a byproduct of, of being in the country and just having this love you know for animals and, and a love for uh you know, starting with dolphins and then all, uh, you know, marine life. Um, it, it was just kind of organic. I, I don't think it was necessarily passed down to me, um, maybe at some point. But, uh, you know, my parents allowed me to explore. You know, I wanted to join the Cousteau Society and they allowed me. Um, you know, they went to do their picnic thing at, uh, at the aquarium thing. And, you know, they allowed me just to hang out for eight hours at the, uh, you know, at the dolphin pool. So... You know, kind of, I guess they kind of passively encouraged me, uh, but it took hold. And, um, uh, you know, even today, I could go and just hang out for eight hours at the dolphin pool and just, you know, communicate and talk and just have a good time. Yeah, that's a great thing. And, I, and you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, as I get older uh, and as, you know, certainly as my kids uh, get to, to the point, you know, where I'm at in my life now, that they... They have, um, you know, built and established this, you know, same love for the outdoors and the same relationship and passion uh, for protecting it. Um, because, you know, you can tell it, it it doesn't have to go away. That 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 doesn't have to change as you get older. It may look a little bit different, but the relationship and the respect and, and the understanding and all of that is, is something that, that really shouldn't change. And you hope uh, that it doesn't uh, as you go forward. You know, you realize, I think, when you get older that all of a sudden you've got the power to do something like uh, start a company that uh, has a focus on conservation. And so you're, you have more tools in your toolbox that you can wield. Um, and, you know, and when you're a kid, you may not have that kind of social capital to build, uh, you know, build a business. But, um, you know, just kind of let that love blossom and, you know, maybe it turns into something. Yeah. Yeah, that's very well put. So, <clears throat> Mark, as we're kind of getting towards the end here. Do you have, I guess, um, you know, just from a personal standpoint, any big trips or anything like that as, as far as, um, you know, maybe fishing trips or, you know, some camping trips, or I'm not sure if you're, if you're a big hunter or anything like that, any trips like that that you've, that you've got on the horizon that you're looking forward to? Um, heading up to Yosemite, um, in October, um, and do some hiking up in Yosemite, which is one of my uh, favorite places. 
Um, and then the other thing that I thought about is there's the, uh, from Tahoe to all the way to Yosemite is the John Muir Trail. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, i kind of kicking that around, uh, whether I want to take some time, and because it's a six, seven, ten day trip uh, to do the entire trail. Um, but, um, it, it, you know, it's a once in a lifetime thing takes you through, uh, I think Mount Whitney and, um, and, you know, the peak of Mount Whitney. Um, so it's no, you know, kind of spur of the moment thing. This is something where you have to train and you have to make sure that your body is ready, but, um, you know, you put yourself out there in, in, in nature and, you know, let's see what happens. So that may come to fruition, but uh, for sure, uh, repeated trips to, uh, Yosemite. Oh yeah, Yosemite is one of those national parks that uh, I've not had a chance to visit, uh, but is definitely uh, on my list. Um, you know, California—it's one of the great things about the state—is just the the variety of outdoor activities that you can get into. Um, I mean, you know, there's obviously the mountains, there's the the ocean, um, and there's there's really something from from an outdoor recreationist standpoint. There's something for everyone in California, and that's one of the things I love about that state. You know, Yosemite is kind of a, a double-edged sword. It's a an amazing national park, which is wonderful, but it's also an amazing national park, which attracts maybe more people than you would prefer. Yeah, millions of people, right? Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that money and the entrance fees and all of that allows it to, uh, to continue as a park. Um, but you may go there some days and think it's, you know, it's kind of like Disneyland. Yeah. Um, but uh, I also enjoy something maybe a little less traveled, which is uh, Alaska. Um, and so I'm kind of mulling over something in Alaska. Um, I went a couple years ago, did some hiking, did some uh, rock climbing, some rappelling, some kayaking, and I just have not gotten that out of my system. And so I want to go back and I want to do more. Yeah, I don't think you can go wrong with a trip to Alaska, regardless of what you get into, because I feel like there's just, there's, I mean, there's just so much there, right, that you can just experience, you know, constantly, you can constantly be experiencing something new or some type of new adventure. And yeah, that would be a, that'd be a great place to spend some time. Absolutely. Yeah, with uh, no lines to have to wait in. Yeah. <laughs> not many people are willing to uh, put themselves out there, and that's, that's fine. Yeah. So, Mark, before I let you go, where can people find Citrus Arrow Coffee at? You know what? You can find us online at uh, ca.coffee or citrusarrowcoffee.com. Uh, we're on Twitter, Citrus Arrow Joe. We're on Instagram. Let's see. What did I did I do? Citrus Arrow Joe on Instagram. Hang on, people. Hang on. <laughs> Citrus Arrow Coffee. Okay. On uh, Instagram. Uh, and then we'll... Uh, any events that we will uh, will be appearing at, uh, we'll post it on uh, Twitter and Instagram and all that. So uh, uh, the people can find us that way. Awesome. Well, Mark, I really appreciate the time today. It was good to kind of kick off the week talking about coffee and conservation and just kind of you know hearing your story um, to, in terms of how you got here and, and started this company and why conservation is so important to everything. And uh, I really appreciate it. It's been great talking to you. You got it. This was a really fun time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Well, uh, yeah, take care of yourself, Mark. I'm going to have to get some coffee from you here and uh, support some ocean conservation and uh, have a good cup of coffee in the process. All right. Thanks, Marcus. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye.
All right. Well, thank you again to Mark for joining me on the podcast today and telling us more about Citrus Arrow Coffee. Uh, I would also like to thank the partners of the podcast, Hardside Hydration, Stone Glacier, Wild Rivers Coffee, Go Hunt, Outdoor Class, and of course, 2% for Conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org. And over there, you're going to see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media, where it's going to be only the positive conservation-driven content landing in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can visit their website, fishandwildlife.org, or check them out on social media. And until next week, stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.